0: Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training,
1: and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment.
2: How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talked to the mad scientist of firearms training and discussed the six common attack factors often found in self-defense shootings. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot get the show started without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing
0: well, Mike. I, I, I really only have one question for you before we get too far down the Yeah, line. buddy. Who's driving Saturday?
2: Uh, I kind of always assume that you're driving, but I, that doesn't mean that I won't drive okay if you want me to drive i will I, I assume it because you tend to a like driving more than I do I do but it's kind of cold and miserable and it's not like,
0: I can't drive cool cars in this weather that's fair so
2: I'll drive. All right, cool. Okay. So for everybody who's just in this private conversation that we should have had off the air, <laughs> uh, Keith and I are taking a, a train, a low-light training course with Ben DeWalt, who was previously a guest on the show. So we'll be reporting back on that uh, that's true. soon. So anyway, that's what, that's what Keith is.
0: I wanted you to get to the point that we were going to visit Ben. That's, yeah. I, I lobbed it up there for you. It, was it a just took you
2: longer to get there. It was a nice segue. I like okay. it. Sorry. Uh, how
0: you doing? I'm all right. I'm doing okay. I'm going to try not to burn my mouth on this cup of coffee that I made. Cool. And uh do that. I'm, I'm excited. I brought up my big box yeah, of goodies but- for Ben's training on Saturday. Should we keep that
2: under wraps for now? Uh, Let's keep it under wraps for right now. All right, all right. All right. Um, yeah, we're we're building a little I'm something. A share. We're building a little something, but We'll keep it in wraps for now. Okay. All right. All right. But we got some cool gear. That's the. bottom We did box.
0: get some cool gear, and uh, I've been carrying my new uh, my new Sig that I got out of gun jail finally.
2: Yeah, you mounted a red dot on yeah. it, which I have. I am not because I, I don't. I just don't didn't have time to do it, but
0: it wasn't bad. I it went on one two three sighting, and it wasn't too terrible. Uh, I did end up having to um, take it off and remount it. I don't. I must have done something, uh, but once I put that on, I had plenty of. Um, uh, elevation left. I had ran, I had run out of elevation the first time. Gotcha. And, uh, I couldn't figure out what it was and I tried to back it off a little bit and then it went a little bit farther at the suggestion of a, uh, friend of mine and that didn't quite work. So then I totally just demounted it and put it back on, started from scratch. Sometimes you gotta demount. Demount. I did try to like, uh, go back to the middle. Like I did try to put the elevation back to the middle and then, and then took it off. But, uh, um, yeah. So anyway, cool. It's cool rel- I'm running it well, and I'm 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 running. So, it, so I know you're not a social media
2: guy. I am not. <clears throat> uh, although I think it's funny that some people DM me now and make fun of the fact that you don't. It's it's like it's become your thing. Oh, like, well, you have to show.
0: Know. You have to read them on 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 the air. Yeah. because
2: at least that would make me uh, some. Someone see them. told me to tell you to join MySpace. Like so go back, <laughs> go back to the beginning. So I, anyway, I, I didn't the, even have a MySpace the re- page. Re- the reason <laughs> I'm bringing it up is because, uh, you know, we always ask for some support from our listeners. And I have to say, like, our Instagram, it kind of hit, like, it had a real hot pop uh, in the last week or two, a lot of new followers. And I really do my best to, like, when someone follows, um, to thank them. And I actually will DM them. And and I've had some nice conversations with some of our listeners. You care? I do. No, I genuinely try to, like, actually reach out and talk to people. And a lot of people paid us some nice compliments and, you know... It's just cool. So if you're out there uh, and you're on Facebook and you're not like Keith, you know, hit us up, join, join, follow, and uh, you know, always DM. Next time fine. we're
0: together, I'm going to let one of my kids type on your phone and just start answering people back. That'd be
2: awesome. Bit. I'll <laughs> hire him. We'll, we'll give him a job. So uh, tonight's show is sponsored by Spartan Armor Systems, and uh, we've talked about them about them a lot on the show. We generally talk about their armor. Correct. And, uh, you know, we, we like the armor. We've shot the armor. We believe in the armor. Um, I have it up we, in my... You sacrificed melons for the armor. We did. I have them up in my closet. So I, The shot ones I have. In my, I have uh, right those right and work, the good ones. <laughs> right on my workbench. <laughs> um, you know, but that's the stuff that I plan to use if I ever need it. Uh, but they have other stuff too, right?
0: Well, you reminded me of this. Uh, when when you sent over the show notes for me tonight, I, I, I instantly thought it was a new product. I, and I had forgot that... They had these on the website. Um, yeah, some steel targets, dueling yeah. trees. Uh, what else they had? Uh, Hostage targets. Oh, yeah. And that thing that looked like a, a TikTok or a, um, what do they call it? A thing that you bounce the ball
2: and pick- Oh, jack Yeah, it, it, it's called Christ. a Texas Walker. It looks Christmas. like a jack and you pop it. And yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah. But, you know, guys, they have a bunch of different price ranges depending on what you're getting. I think like a Texas Walker is like 70 bucks, and then there's different prices. But... Nobody listens to our show is going to pay full price. You guys get 15% off with our discount code, GUNEXPERIMENT15, so be sure to hit them up. Anyway, let's get into this show. Our guest tonight is an IDPA, Master Shooter, Range Master, and NRA instructor. He's a UTM Level 2 Force on Force instructor, as well as a student of performance neurology. Please welcome Mike Ox to the show. Mike, how are we doing tonight?
1: Uh, excellent. Thank you for having me on. Of course. i looking course. forward to this. So.
2: so, uh, you sent us, uh, your, your book, uh, real world gunfight training. And, uh, I did, I read it cover to cover. Um, I read the whole thing and, um, it's, uh, it's definitely a book unlike any other book on firearms training I've ever read. That's for sure. Uh, and you pro- you propose some more unorthodox training methodology that is uh, deeply rooted in science, uh, to put it quite simply. So what are some of the problems with traditional training?
1: Well, one of the, the big contrasts uh, between how we train. Well, let me just, let me say it another way. Uh, the, the unorthodox methods that I propose for firearms training are what is the norm in every other elite sport in the world. And the reason for that is because it is how the brain learns physical skills that that you want to learn or that you want to be able to perform under stress best. And because of the challenges and risks and danger of live fire, uh, we have completely changed the method that firearms training is done to uh, meet safety protocols, assuming that all training is done with live fire. And what that has created over the years is a method of teaching that just is not compatible with the, brain, the way the brain learns. You can still learn, it just takes... Uh, a lot more effort and a lot more time to learn than what it needs to. So,
0: is that kind of why you decided to go so deep into this science? Because you're you're saying if if you can grasp the way that you're teaching this, um, which ad, admittedly, Mike, I, I had a difficult time with. I, I I I read. I couldn't read it cover to cover. I, I got lost a few times, but. Um, Is that why you chose this science is because you're, you're kind of saying if you do it right and you grasp it, you'll be able to do it faster.
1: Yeah. There were actually two big events that uh, led to this training. And one of them was, I was a real estate investor in 2008 and uh, market crashed. Our finances crashed. I had to choose between training and eating and eating one out. And so I was like, huh? All right. Well, I need to keep training, but I can't afford ammo. Uh, how am I going to do this? And I leaned back on experiences I had doing, uh, full contact fighting. I'd gotten to train with, um, Olympic coaches in, in high school and, um, uh, was part of a biofeedback experiment with the Mayo Clinic when I was a kid and kind of combined, uh, the three of those worlds and created a dry fire program based on, um, uh, traditional dry fire, uh, mental imagery done correctly, and airsoft. And in 2009, n- now that's no big deal. Uh, in 2009, it was thought of as crazy and extreme. And I had I, I improved more in the next couple of months than I had in previous years. And so I started sharing it, and people were getting the same results. They were getting uh, way more improvement in skill in way less time well fast forward again uh, i've always tended towards uh fun extreme sports and in the process i racked up quite a few concussions and they started catching up with me and i was having problems with my vision with balance with hand-eye coordination and uh, it, it really sucked and so
2: you had some I, vertigo correct that was like a problem yeah, you were going through
1: yeah vertigo almost every night for over three years. Mm. And that was, that was not fun at all. Um, For anyone who's had vertigo, it's, uh, it is very challenging. So I was like, all right, either this is my new normal or I need to dig in or into neurology and figure out how to, how to fix all this stuff that's going on in my head.
2: Do you have a science background, Mike?
1: I'm sorry, what's that? Do you
2: have a science background at all?
1: That's a good question. I, um, I started off as uh, an uh, engineering major. So engineering, math and physics, uh, but not, not biology, uh, not, not in the medical realm.
0: Okay. Not in this neurological
1: chance. No, that's just always been a a passion of mine of doing, uh, I, I got introduced to accelerated learning techniques in, um, uh, when I was working with, uh, or when I, not when I was working with, but when I was able to train with the uh, Olympic coaches mm-hmm. and it, um, it sent me down a road where I did a lot of research into areas that I wouldn't have known existed otherwise. And that all kind of played out at the same time when I was trying to figure out the, the neurology, uh, issues with the concussions. And so dove into that, got my vision back, got my balance back, got my hand-eye coordination back, and I started trying to use the the drills that I was using with other shooters. And I saw very, very fast improvements uh, to the tune of uh, 20% gains in speed and accuracy in three to five minutes without uh, without changing technique, without changing gear, just changing Uh, sensory input to the brain and what the brain did with that sensory input.
2: So Mike, you do in the book, you discuss methods to accelerate um, learning physical skills under stress. Mm -hmm. What is fast training and why is it so important for the acceleration of learning? Explain Uh, that in in some detail for me.
1: Yeah. Fast training or slow training? Fast training. Oh. I guess, can you be a little more specific on the, on the question?
2: Yeah. So you, there was talk about um, a way to accelerate the learning curve, um, kind of what you were just alluding to, but can you kind of go into detail as to exactly what that is?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought you meant the, the speed of motion. No, 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 and no. That's no. What Sorry. You meant by Sorry. Past, but okay. Yeah. Um, no. So if you think about a car and you think about being on an on-ramp to the interstate, there's two ways that you can accelerate. One is, You can increase the output of the motor, and two is you can decrease resistance. Uh, If you've got your parking brake on and you release the parking brake, it's going to feel like you, I mean, you are going to accelerate. Sure. If you uh, can just imagine having completely flat tires and having the ability to inflate them instantly, it's going to feel you're going to accelerate. So, accelerated learning isn't really uh, overclocking. Uh, if you think about it in computer terms, what it is, is getting rid of anything that's not beneficial or ideal to the learning process. And uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, the majority of training is done in, uh, in large chunks where you're drinking from a fire hose. And you're learning skills uh, and you're learning the application of skills. And those skills are built on concepts that you may be learning for the first time that day. And those concepts are described by using vocabulary that you may be hearing for the first time that day. And if you're trying to learn all three or all four of those at the same time, it's, it scrambles the brain. Uh, if you hear a skill and then you have to remember, all right, what is, what is that concept that he was describing? What, what's that word mean? Uh, by then, He's a sentence or two down the line describing the skill and you got to figure out how to catch up.
2: So let me just interrupt you really quick. So like one of the things that you talk about in the book um, that I I don't disagree with is the idea that the way in which like let's say police academies train officers or the way in which if Keith and I were to go take a course like we are this weekend, that a lot of times you're taking that course and you're getting – your your analogy, you know, the fire hose analogy. Which you, I agree with. Yeah, you're 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 taking a ton of information in and then you gotta go home and you have to digest that. And you know, we've taken we took a course recently where they said you should go home and you should focus on these skills for like front front load your training where you're basically gonna work on those skills before you go and take any other courses, before you change gears and do anything else. So In the book, you kind of mentioned that this is good for checking off boxes. It's good for meeting requirements, but it's not good for long-term training. Do I have that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely right. A traditional class will create something called an illusion of competency because at the end of a day of training or at the end of a multi-day class, uh, you're able to operate out of short-term memory. And very, very little gets transferred or consolidated from short term memory to long term memory in a single 24 hour period. So what happens is you might perform like a rock star at the end of class and then you get home and you're like, holy cow, I got to make up for the time I was gone and uh, real life gets in the way. And it might be a week, two weeks, three weeks before you come back to the skills that you learned in the class. And by then they're they're gone. Uh, there may be, there, well, there will be memories of the class. There'll be emotional, episodic memories, uh, enjoyment of the class, uh, any emotional highlights of the class, but the actual skill, very little of it gets retained.
0: So I'll, I'll agree with that, Mike. I, I definitely can think back to classes that we've taken, whether it be for firearms training or other things where I've experienced exactly what you're talking about, I guess what I'm struggling with is being able to understand the things that you were trying to teach me to improve my accuracy by twenty percent from just reading the book. So what else am I missing?
1: Okay, yeah. So those are those are two very different questions. Um, as far as how you retain the information longer, uh, basically you do you, you put into practice what. Uh, the instructor told you, which is uh, you go to a live training and you make a plan over the coming days and weeks of what you're going to do in dry fire each day or every other day to uh, refresh and uh, cement those new skills into long-term memory.
0: Right. So if I'm not going to go home and do my homework, so to speak, right? If I'm not going to go home and commit to some of these uh, things that I have to do to keep building on that skill, I'm not going to get anything out of it, right?
1: Right. Got it. The other side of it, the uh, 20% gain in three to five minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, where that comes from is the fact that all shooting is, all shooting skills are built on a foundation of vision, balance, and hand-eye coordination. Right. And uh, people generally think that they are very accurate pointers. And the saying is, you've been pointing since birth, so you can point a gun. Well, the fact is, in recent years, there's been a lot of money that's gone into research on how accurately we can point. And the reason for that is uh, gesture-activated devices. And what they found is uh, people don't point that accurately. And uh, that's part of it. The other thing is uh, when you think about pointing, if you just point at something in the room that you're in right now and then you look at your finger, uh, more than likely your finger is pointing up at the object and you're seeing the object sit on the front of your fingernail uh, instead of looking down the finger like you would with with a pistol. The other thing is that most people, when they point, uh, they're pointing with their knuckles up instead of their index finger up and their, their knuckles up and down, like you hold a pistol. Sure. So the, the skill doesn't necessarily transfer. Um, but you, you can absolutely be good at, at pointing and pointing very, very accurately. Well,
2: but I, I, I do have to go back. So a while back we had Rob Pincus on the show and I know, you know, Rob, Yeah. And like, yep. you know, I said something about like, you know, listen, you know, you really got, I don't remember exactly, but it was kind of along the lines of, like, you know, you really got to train if you want to be good with a good, with a gun. And Rob was like, I mean, well, not really. He's like a lot of people like kill some bad guys, just, you know, just pointing and shooting. <laughs> and I'm like... I guess he's kind of right. I mean, there's some gangbangers out there. They don't go to the range and shoot. They just shoot people.
0: Well, they maybe they did. Let's assume <laughs> maybe, they maybe they, let's assume they shoot in the backyard yeah, or something. Maybe, I don't maybe. know, you know. But that seems to make perfect sense to me. If you've never had any training courses at all, but if you've had training courses at all, I've learned to look, you know, point through my finger, not the front of my fingertip. You know what I mean? So maybe that's why I was not really able to grasp that.
2: I'm trying to understand. Yeah, that so, am you know? so, like, like you know what I'm saying. Yeah, right? I do. So, like, let me take this. Let me take this a different direction for a second here, because so uh, I, I completely understand what you're saying and what the book was saying about the short-term memory. It makes, yeah, that per- makes, perfect makes perfect sense. sense I,
0: I was I was on board with that too. Yep.
2: So, can you tell us a little bit about? Because I think this is important the frequent training and sustainment training right so like that's those are two important concepts right mm. so mm-hmm. this is where like a lot of, you go into a lot about Doing dry homework dry firing right and like that's i'm assuming part of your sustainment training so could you just kind of like um elaborate and kind of let the listeners know how that stuff is important to uh your progression as a shooter
1: yeah absolutely uh some of that comes from uh work that was done by Larry Yatch and Dusty Solomon and Bo Dobozinski at, uh, the stress shooting lab sealed mindset up in Minneapolis. And they took a martial arts approach and they were teaching 140 short form classes a month. And they did that for between three and three and a half years. And so they had a very high volume of classes and, Uh, they were all short. So people were coming uh, multiple times a week, multiple times a month uh, to train. And what they found was that the ideal mix in order to get someone to where they could respond to a surprise threat and engage it uh, correctly and accurately was a mix of 80% dry fire, 10% live fire, And 10% force on force and stress inoculation. And the reason for that, I mean, there's several reasons. Uh, If if we look at one of the most common problems that shooters have, it's uh, anticipatory flinch.
2: I would agree with that. I've I've struggled with that for a very long time. And most shooters do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you don't get it when you do 80% of your training with dry fire.
2: I have to say, so two things here. One, uh, when I have dry fired, as opposed to when I've maybe gotten busy in life and haven't had the chance to do it as much, um, I do see that that is the case for sure. And two, the other thing I found is a very good way of sort of training through that flinch is uh we shoot some 22 around here and 22 Mm -hmm. because it's not loud and it's not it's you know it's a little less uh it's more unassuming i find that that really mellows me and it's like that getting those reps of a smooth trigger with actual fire is kind of a nice transition from dry fire to let's say uh you know two two three or nine millimeter or something like that it's almost like dry fire is the super quiet calm there's no bang and then it's like 22 is the next step in progression and then then you go to an actual caliber that has a little bit of noise to it and i find that that really kind of baby steps me off of that problem does that make sense
1: oh that makes absolute sense and i would add in airsoft and pellet pistols and BB yes, pistols sure and or carbines and um downloaded nine millimeter
2: one of the things you sent us to kind of play around with was um your cords, yeah, and to describe these, yeah. uh, basically, what it is is you put a, uh, it's a, a cord that goes in the barrel, and what it does is it puts the slide out of battery for dry fire practice. And for anybody out there, if you've ever had your gun out of battery when you pull the trigger, it's basically like a, a dead trigger, right? Yep. In the in the book, you talk about how the and I and I agree with what I'm about to say and what you wrote. Okay, is when you're dry firing, like I have a Mantis X, and I'll dry fire with it, and I have to keep racking the slide and you can train in a muscle memory i've heard i heard a story one time from a law enforcement officer where a cop shot his first shot and it didn't do what it needed to do and he racked the slide because in practice Mm -hmm. he was always racking the slide every time he shot um when he was dry firing so you can build in a muscle memory that you don't want to have there so but mike my question is when you put the gun out of battery for dry fire practice and you have what i'm calling a dead trigger isn't that also kind of building in a bad muscle memory because you're not getting an actual wall with a click and then a reset. You're just getting like a mushy trigger every time you pull.
1: Well, uh, you know, it depends on what kind of shooting you're doing. If you're doing bullseye shooting or hundred, 200 yard, uh, precision pistol, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. You want to feel that wall. Um, uh, If you were doing defensive shooting, you want to be able to slap the snot out of it and not move the sights.
2: So if you were in a real uh, gunfight and you felt a a dead trigger, wouldn't you go through like a tap rack ready, right? Like you would go through a motion to fix that problem. So now, uh, like, would there be a muscle memory built up where now there's a problem, but you don't sense it as a problem because you've used it so many times in dry fire?
1: I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, It hasn't worked out that way. And the, the only thing that, I mean, just that's the first time I've been asked that, but the, the only reason that I can think of offhand is that it's, you're expecting it to go bang and it's not going bang. And you know, inherently that there is a problem.
2: And that's fair. That's That's, that's certainly fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, uh, using something that allows you to, to reset the trigger is, uh, is bad. I'm just saying, but it, but it does, it does obviously create somewhat of a false, uh, it's not exactly accurate, right? Like, and in an ideal no, world, you're using some kind of a blowback system. That's, that's a, the perfect system, obviously. Yeah. It's a, it's a compromise
1: Yes, and pretty sure. much. So the way that I, I look at it is anything other than training with a uh, training partner who is trying to kill me is, comprom- is <laughs> yeah, a compromise.
2: It sure is. It sure is. Definitely. And
1: so uh, that doesn't mean that it's not effective. It just means that you have to identify, okay, how is this different than reality? What do I need to do to bridge the gap either mentally or what other drills do I need to do?
2: Yep. That's a fair answer. That, that's a very fair answer.
1: But yeah, everything that we do in training involves compromise because of the nature of what we're training for.
0: And and I, and I've heard that before. I, and I, I tend to agree with that as well. Um, I I just switched Mike, my everyday carry to a red dot. Mm -hmm. Can, what are your thoughts on that? And if it's terrible, you can tell me it's terrible. I'm, I can take it.
1: No, I don't think it's terrible. (laughs) I I think, uh, you know, one of the best things about red dots is they tend to cause people to practice more and put in more reps
0: I've, and I've shot like that, that more than I shot my other everyday carry in the last 30 days
2: It's mm. the new toy though. <laughs> yeah, also, it's a new toy. That's true.
1: It's a new toy. It's fun. It's, um, uh, it's engaging it, the, that little dot gets the attention of your brain better than, uh, better than the front sight. And it's a, it's a cool kid toy. So, I mean, all, all of those things are good. And then you look at how, how things play out. Uh, If you look at law enforcement shootings with and without red dots, uh, I I forget the latest stats, but I was just talking with Mark Miller about this, of how how much more accurate uh, law enforcement has tended to be with red dots as opposed to irons. That's interesting. And Mm -hmm. we don't know what percentage of that is because of the fact that they're putting in more time on it because it's more fun or how much of it is uh, because of the fact that they can keep their eyes diverged to the target, they can keep their focus yeah, on the thread. That, that I've and noticed just the, the dot in the way. Yeah, yeah we had
2: we had Scott Jadlinski on um, for Modern Samurai yeah. Project, and um, that was one of the things like we had talked about. It was like you know your whole life if you're if you you know shot a gun for any amount of time, you're taught to basically you know you're you're focusing on that front sight, and everything else is just peripheral and blurred out. And so like you know it's it's an interesting concept. To it's go-
0: probably the like Mike uh, Mike was talking about training it's it's one of the things that i took away from that conversation that we had with him that i
2: will always remember and it's just you know to imagine it like you're looking through a car window i I do think i mean the data may not be there but it does seem to make sense from just a a common sense approach that if you're keeping your eyes on the target instead of on the front sight. i mean
0: i showed you my groupings i was very happy with them offhand at 12 yards
2: there's other
1: factors going on that i don't think anybody's flushed out but uh, you can see a flinch on the dot easier than you can see a flinch.
0: That could be part of it uh,
1: with the irons, mm. and so there's a there's a self correcting aspect to it. And uh, if you put in some time with a dot, and you're getting a dopamine hit every single time you hit where you wanted to, uh, it it's a spiral, and you become more and more confident. And that's one of the X factors in a lethal force encounter is confidence. If you go into it and you know before the start that you're going to win it, regardless of what the situation is, uh, which is kind of the attitude you got to have, uh, you're, you're going to do much, much better than if you doubt your equipment and you doubt your skills. How do you weigh all of that and and test it? And I don't know that there's really a way. I just know that those are factors that play into it.
2: Yeah. Do you have any tips based on your experience and training um, methodology to accelerate the learning curve for a new red dot shooter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh I've used a method with several people and basically it's from one shot on irons, uh next shot on red dot and you're good to go with no no ramp up period whatsoever. Okay. And what you do is uh you, you start with irons and you get rid of the idea of aiming with your sights. You aim with your presentation. The sights are there to verify sight alignment. So, if when you bring the sights up, they are not automatically in line between your dominant eye and the target, that's something that you need to work on. And that's um, one of the things that one of the ways that we get that 20% increase in speed and accuracy in three to five minutes is by integrating vision balance and proprioception so that we can more accurately put the sights between our dominant eye and the target automatically, uh, not only when we're looking at our natural point of aim but at off angles. Uh once somebody can shut their eyes, bring the gun up between their dominant eye and the target, open their eyes and be on target, uh then all it is is a matter of co-witnessing a red dot and uh letting them shoot. And they're going to uh the gun's going to come up, the red dot's going to be between their dominant eye and the target and they're going to be able to take the shot. And you can uh, basically, take somebody and have two guns—one with a red dot and one with irons—and have them shut their eyes, put one in their holster, have them open their eyes, hit a buzzer, and they can draw not knowing what they're going for. And either the dot or the irons are going to come up into automatic alignment between their dominant eye and the target, and they're going to be able to make the shot. Hmm. The red dot's going to be simpler cause their eyes are gonna be able to stay diverse to the target and they're not gonna need to move their focus back. But um, both of them are gonna be in alignment.
2: Yeah, one of the things that Scott had taught us was the idea of like, you know, typically the red dot is high and you kind of pull down on the pinky and it brings it right down where it needs to be. So it's definitely, there's definitely a learning curve there with a red dot. I I heard once someone say, I forget who it was, like people like give up on a red dot because you know, it's not for me, the reality of it is like it's just there's a learning curve there you know it's 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 anything anyone can do it just like you learn how to use irons. i'll
0: be interested to see on saturday i mean saturday will be the first time i try to use it in a (laughs) non-controlled environment so to speak you know i mean i'm just you know going presenting and shooting right you know so saturday will be the the a good sign for me but i felt comfortable Doing just what I did the other night, so I hope it translates. And
2: I think it's like anything. You, you know, maybe you're going to be a little slower, but you, you just. Kind of I get already, through
0: it. yeah, I already told myself I'm going to be slow. That yeah. that is, you know, I I think I have
2: to be in this situation. It's going to be the first time we're doing something like this. Sure. So. So, but anyway, so yeah. Mike, I, I do want to get back to the book here. Yeah, thank um, you. So uh, your book goes pretty in depth into the world of performance neurology. Mm-hmm. In some sections, you discuss the storage of knowledge in the hippocampus and the releases of cortisol, and I think I read about the mitochondria at one point, point. and I, I have a little bit of a science background. It's more in physical science than it is in uh, biology, although I a, a little bit in biology, but it was never my favorite science. So as I was reading the book, I couldn't help but wonder if this type of information was more than the average person looking for training needs. Like, why did you feel the need to delve so deep into the science of it? And I know, like, you have a history with. Like you said, the Olympic coaches and I and I I believe the science is there. I'm not. That's not my question. But I'm just. You're thinking, not
0: anti science.
2: I'm just thinking.
0: <laughs> Are I, you a science
2: denier? I'm. I'm thinking of Bubba up in the Adirondacks that only shoots shotguns. Well, I'm
0: Bubba in the Adirondacks <laughs> yeah. that only shoots shotguns. And I'm thinking he's reading
2: this book, going like, "What's what's a hippocampus?
0: <laughs> I don't. I I'm never not, saw that type of animal.
2: So I'm just curious. Is this? Does do you find that this is at times above, uh, over people's heads a little bit?
1: No, that's a, that's a great question. And I'll, I'll tell you how the, how the book came to be. Sure. Um, a, um, an elite training unit, uh, asked me to revamp the pistol portion of their training and they had an impossible list of demands that nobody had been able to deliver on. And I broke it down from a neurological perspective, built up the course and it worked incredibly well. Um, Idaho state patrol found out about it and asked me to, uh, submit it to, uh, IATALIST for, uh, to be authorized for CE credits. And, uh, I looks at it and they're like, and I I forget, it's like 30 state CE accreditation. And they said, you know what? You, you make a lot of claims in here. Uh, the course looks awesome. You got to back this stuff up. And so that it, the process of backing up all of the claims that I make in the course resulted in the book. So the course is basically a done for you six week program where you're led step by step, uh, day by day through, uh, five to 15 minutes of follow along dry fire drills. And you don't have to know any of the neurology or any of the science.
2: So wait, hold on, let me stop you right there and then I'll let you continue. So the book isn't the course, the book is the science. So if I'm reading this going, this makes a lot of sense, then I then I'm gonna go and take the six-week course, correct?
1: That is an option. Basically, I set up the book. Uh, originally it was to back up every all of the the science in the course. And then I was like, you know what? There's there's a lot of people out there. Like me Now, most people are not like me. Most people want the done for you step by step option. But there's enough people out there like me who want to dig into this and want to make their own training. The book is the roadmap. It tells you everything that you need to do to make the equivalent of the course that I made.
2: So let me circle back to my original question. So the, the title of the book is Real World Gunfight Training. So I'm going to be honest when I, when I, when I, when I got the book from you, I was like, oh man, I'm going to learn how to be a gunfighter. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but you know what I'm saying? Like I was like, oh, I'm going to learn gunfighting skills. And what I got was a, a lesson on neurology. And, and I'm, I, like I said, I have a bit of a science background, so it was interesting to me, but, but I did, I left going like, where's the, where's the gunfighting part? I I want to learn how to gunfight. Well, that's a great question. And that's the six week training course, which is, that's great, but the title made me think I was getting gunfighting skills. So my question originally was what happens when the guy who barely passed high school biology buys this book and goes, what the hell is this talking about? Cause it's science. It's not gunfighting. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's where I'm, I'm trying to get to there with you.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, um, and here's, here's how I would answer that. If we take a look at a gunfight, or, well, no, I'll do it. We'll just leave it at a gunfight. Um, uh, I'll refer back to Larry Atch again. Uh, several years ago, he floored me with a, with a comment and question. And basically what he did was he told me that shooting skills don't matter a whole lot in a gunfight until they matter. <laughs> and if we look at, At shooting under stress, uh, particularly in a dynamic situation, or we look at any other elite sport in the world, uh, between 90 and 99% of it is stress modulation and sensory integration. And sensory integration is how well, uh, how good your vision is, how good your balance is, how good your hand-eye coordination is, and how well they work together. So, uh, one of the big, big gaps that we see with traditional training between uh, what we do on the range and what we do in a situation where lives are on the line is that the, the balance, well, let's just take balance, the balance demands of a real world situation are not addressed in traditional training. And what that does is it adds a lag, it increases the stress level, and it reduces accuracy. So what the book is doing actually is laying out uh, uh, how to be way more effective in a gunfight because of the fact that it addresses vision, it addresses balance, it addresses hand-eye coordination, it addresses stress modulation.
2: There's some where you get to in our in our our second segment where I talk a little about some details that I actually thought was really interesting stuff on um, actual the, the six components found in self-defense situations. And uh, that was a very interesting part of the book for me. But uh, one thing I will say you do is throughout the book, there's parts where you'll say like for more details on this and then you'll give like a, you know, a dot com like go to this dot com. And yeah, I went
0: to one of them and there was like a, it was presentation. A, yeah, well, I was coming up, it was going to be ready in an hour or something. It was going to be due in an hour
2: where I'm going with this is you're saying that there's a six hour course. So someone who's reading this and, and I said, like the guy who barely passed high school science, maybe he's reading this and that's where he could find some of those other resources. Are those behind paywalls or is that stuff that's included like in your, in your websites? Like what's, how does that stuff work? Cause I actually didn't go to too many of them. I was kind of trying to get through the book. Yeah, that's a real challenge with
1: with this. So, uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of training information is delivered with the expectation that the the reader uh, doesn't know or doesn't care about the science background, okay. and. Uh, even more insultingly, doesn't have the ability
2: to. That's fair. Yeah, because I'm sure a lot of people could comprehend it. There's definitely people out there that yeah, can.
1: Yeah, and, and I just did not want to take that approach. I'm like, okay, this, this, is, uh, this is where gun training needs to move to. Uh, if I make it so simple that everybody can understand it, uh, the people who are developing curriculum aren't going to have the information that they need to know why they need to change what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it it can't serve everybody.
2: No, definitely not. De- no. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it was just like like if if you had sent me the book and on the title it said the science behind real world gunfighting, I would have been like, okay, this is kind of what I was. It just kind of threw me off. But like I said, you do have other opportunities. Or uh for people to go to different avenues that you that you can provide, right? Some of those other those dot coms and stuff. Mm-hmm. If the science part has got them hooked and now they want that six-week course, they can go to those places as well, correct?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So
2: do you have any other any new projects on the horizon? Anything that we should uh be looking out for?
1: Uh a couple of things in instructor development program uh and a uh uh, dedicated stress modulation program. So figuring out, uh, what people can do specifically who perform very well on the range in low stress situations and, uh, their performance tanks when the, the stress of a qualification or the stress of a timer, uh, enters the picture.
2: Okay, cool. So some stuff for us to look out for. Um, so Mike, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, uh two places. One, uh people can download the summary of the book and uh get the book at realworldgunfighttraining.com. And then the second site is um uh what I've been best known for through the years is uh dryfiretrainingcards.com. And if you go to dryfiretrainingcards.com/blog uh or just scroll down and click the blog button. Uh we've got hundreds of articles and videos there.
2: Okay, um, yeah, cool.
1: Dealing with basic fundamentals advanced tactics, well, not tactics, advanced training and, uh, the neurology
2: side. Yeah. And to your point, like what you were saying about people, um, people won't be able to understand the science behind. I will say this, you know, your book is available on Amazon and it's loaded with five-star reviews and people who like the book. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely people out there that are buying this and they're, they're digging on the science. So it's certainly, uh, there certainly is a market on it and you, you definitely tapped into something that a lot of people haven't. So good for you. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. Um, so we play a, a game on on our show called Run and Gun. It's a bit of a tradition and uh, no one's ever said no. So I'm hoping you'll say yes. <laughs> uh, you okay with that?
1: Well, I told you I got my concussions by doing uh, <laughs> stupid things, didn't I?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, you'll be just fine then. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. Yeah. So
2: it's, uh, it's a 10 question rapid fire game. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question and you give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. All right here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection?
1: Uh, uh, 320 Legion.
2: Nice. What gun would you buy if money was no object?
1: I would, I'd buy Chris Kyle's 300 Win Mag. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a good answer.
2: If you could have, if you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be?
1: Oh, right now it'd be my dad. He's, he's alive. Uh, just haven't seen him in, uh, in about a year.
2: That's always nice. a good answer. Yep. Favorite caliber. Nine. Favorite hobby, not gun related.
1: Uh, Backcountry camping.
2: If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flying. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared?
1: Oh, loved.
2: Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse?
1: Oh, darn it. (laughs)
2: Um, That's why it's there. My brother. All right, brother it is.
1: Let's mix
2: it up. All right, so on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we discuss the six common attack factors in self-defense shootings and how to effectively train for them. So this is in the book. It was personally my favorite chapter in the book. And let me start by saying, letting the listeners know what the six factors are. So the six factors in the book were stress shooting, dynamic gunfighting, multiple attackers, fast first hits, counter ambush, and combat vision. Uh, Those are the six uh, factors. So uh, you're the guest. So why don't you pick one of those to start on and we'll kind of have a little bit of a deep dive on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's start with combat vision. Combat vision, it isn't necessarily whether you can see 20-20 or see your front sight clearly. It's um, how good your your peripheral awareness and peripheral vision is, uh, how quickly you can shift focus, whether the movement of your eyes is coordinated or whether one eye moves faster than the other when you shift focus, which about 48% of the population, that's what happens. Um And it's how quickly you can make decisions based on visual input, which is a skill that you can improve dramatically. And uh, as an example, uh, one of the things that I will do with people is instead of responding to a beep, I'll start having them respond to either a red light or a green light. And what we see is a, a big, big increase in lag. Right off the bat, and then within several reps, once they have tied the the process in the brain of visual input driving motor output, a lot of that lag goes away. And um, to uh, now, as as things get more complex, it gets even more dramatic. And we've seen uh, USPSA shooters who can get uh, three hits from the holster in under a second. Uh, take 10 to 15 seconds to respond to a lethal force threat in a simulation. And the reason is they just, they haven't tied that visual input to the motor output. And once you tie those two together, now all of a sudden the lag goes away and you've got your fast shooter back.
2: Okay. All right. So now counter ambush um, would give are you both just picking the ones that I want to talk about? what can I say? (laughs) So, so, so hit us up with counter ambush. What is, what, what is counter ambush? Let's start with that.
1: There's a couple of different aspects to it. One is, uh, what's better known as integrated combatives. So combining using empty hands or what's in your hand to buy yourself the time and space to get your gun into the fight. Uh, another part of it—you got to survive
0: the ambush before you can counter ambush, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that ties in with combat vision.
0: Yes, yes, it does.
2: Keith, did you have? Did you? Was there something on counter ambush that you? No,
0: wanted? no, I, I, I'm good. I just wanted to talk about that one next, so we can move on to another one.
2: <laughs> All right, fast first hits. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of self-explanatory, right? Like you, you want You want to put uh, hits on target, shots on target, right? Yeah, there's
1: there's a couple of aspects to that. One is. Um, can I get geeky with you for a second? Please, sure. please. Yeah. Okay. So most people, when they're practicing, uh, uh, putting rounds on target from the holster quickly, they do it as close as possible to their natural point of aim. And, uh, here's why I encourage people to p- practice their presentation with all different foot orientations and all different body orientations. Uh, if we think about uh, which muscles activate first when we start our draw stroke, normally people think that it's going to be the muscles around the shoulder or, or something in the arm. And actually, it's the opposite hip and thigh. And it engages about 80 milliseconds ahead of the shoulder and the opposite foot an ankle, the muscles around the ankle engage 10 to 20 milliseconds before that. And the reason is, the brain is figuring out the brain doesn't want to fall. And it knows that when the arm moves quickly, it's going to create a balance challenge, and it's got to compensate for it. And so it pre flexes the hip and the feet to uh, counteract the movement that's going to happen with the arm. Mm -hmm. The, the more novel or uh unexpected the movement is the longer that lag is the the more that you've practiced it the more instant it is so if you do all of your practice straight ahead and all of a sudden you need to turn to your right and draw and engage a threat to your right and you don't have the script in your brain to follow to maintain balance Uh, One of two things is going to happen. You're going to be off balance. Your draw stroke is going to over travel. You're probably going to go high or off to the side and then have to uh, correct it. And if you have practiced it, it, the lag is going to go away. You're not going to have that over travel and you're going to be on target as quick or very close to as quick as you would be with your natural point of yeah, aim. Yeah, something
2: I've actually been working on a little bit is instead of just, you know, normally do the like, you know, the hands up kind of in front of your face and then, you know, you go for the draw, which is pretty typical. Right. But I've been doing a lot of darting off to the left and then while I'm darting off drawing and then like like uh, punching out back to the right. You know, it's almost like I'm trying to get to cover maybe at a gas station behind a gas pump. And then I'm pulling, you know, punching out to the target that's coming around the gas pump kind of a situation. So that that kind of resonates with me. You know, the idea that like that just standing in front of the mirror, which I do that, too, uh, and just kind of like, you know, dropping the hands, you know, grabbing the shirt and going to the holster that's not enough. You know, you need to have more than that. Right. Um,
1: yeah. And it's, it's not a bad skill to practice. And I, I liken it to uh, so straight ahead with a perfect stance, natural point of aim, perfect grip, uh, perfect sight picture, perfect trigger press. I liken that to uh, t ball in baseball mm-hmm. sure. or going to the driving range and hitting off the tee. Yep. They are, you can develop some good skills there. But until you stress them with um, practicing hitting a ball out of the rough yep. or hitting a curveball, uh, you're really not ready for, for the game.
2: Well, it's great. It's a good, actually a good analogy because pro, pro baseball players, they hit off a tee, right? They, they yep. still do it, even at the pro level, but you got to take live pitching once in a while.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a step in the process, a yes. valuable step in the process.
2: For sure, for sure. I like your um, piece on dynamic gunfighting. Gun fighting in general, or, or any fighting for that matter, is an ever-changing thing, right? There's no one scenario that's the same. So that dynamic process is pretty interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and it what it really comes down to is looking at factors that are different between how people train and how people fight, and trying to introduce as many of the balance and vision and hand-eye coordination challenges into our training as possible so that they're not new and they're not novel, uh, when, when lives depend on our performance.
2: Yeah. So the last two were stress shooting and multiple attackers and, uh, I don't want to give away everything. So <laughs> I am going to, I am going to suggest that if people are, uh, are digging on these factors that they go out and get the book. We are almost at an hour in at this point, so I don't want to take up too much of your night, but, um, I did find that part of the book very interesting. And at the end of the book, you give uh, a sample of how to put together a, uh, a, a program and a system for your training. So, you know, that is in there as well. And I did make it out to be like, it's a lot of science, but there is a practical piece at the end that people can, can, uh, utilize. And, then, of course, like you said, there's some other stuff that people can, can go to on your website for the six week course and things like that. So, you know, I, I want to really thank you for coming on, Mike. Um, you know, I think your scientific approach to training is certainly unconventional and uh, it's outside the box, but it does provide an alternative look at how we train and it provides ideas on how we can become more efficient in becoming better gunfighters. So uh, if you're out there, you know, be sure to check out his website, all his social media and, you know, go, go check the book out. If, if, if this is something that, you know, you're one of those people that really digs in on the neurology of stuff, I think it's a really interesting read. Yeah, Mike, thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about this training. And uh,
0: thank you very much for uh, sharing the book with us and uh, sharing your process. It was, uh, like Mike said, I I had a a struggle with it, but I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, guys. It was a a pleasure being on and uh, really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. So to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in our show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so we can keep the conversation going.